Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. How many of you ever prayed for a miracle, for healing? Maybe for somebody else, maybe uh, for yourself. Uh, Maybe you thought it was, if you're like me, sometimes you think, why should I bother God with something so trifle? Just something so little. I'm sure he's got other things to deal with, like human trafficking and world hunger. Why, why would he bother to mess with my circumstance? But if you're like me, you've probably had your own story, your own history crashed when things didn't go the way you planned it out, right? In your head, you have this idea of how life should go, right? Maybe it started from a young age, You started to dream up exactly how life would be ordered, and maybe somewhere along the way, things got out of order, misordered, and disordered. The story got crashed, and yet as we've discovered over the last several weeks of our series, The Story Crasher, it's exactly when our story crashes that Jesus finds opportunity to crash our story. And when he crashes our story, it's it's a great thing. When he enters into our story, I've seen God do miracles. I've seen healings. I don't know if you've personally witnessed those, but I've, I've seen the handiwork of God through miracles and signs and wonders. I've also had plenty of requests, prayers that have gone unanswered. I can tell you of times that I've seen miracles, and I can tell you of times that I, like the time I watched a young man with cancer, 16 years old, pass away. I remember finding out about his cancer, and with the students in our youth ministry, praying desperately that God would enter in, that he would be healed The cancer would go away. We rebuked the cancer. We did everything that we knew to do, had been trained to do, and had read in Scripture to do. And yet three months later, I was doing his funeral. I don't know about you, but that confuses me. It confuses my faith. John Ortberg, in in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, says this. We generally associate well-being with the presence of God and assume that suffering means someone has done something wrong. Let me say that again. We generally associate well-being with the presence of God and assume that suffering means someone has done something wrong. But I can assure you that this young man, his name was Andrew, just a year before had experienced the freeing power of Jesus in his life. Had come to a personal relationship of knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And to see that young man walk without cancer was great. To see him grow in his knowledge of who Jesus was and in his faith. And then to see him walk with the knowledge that he was given a terminal prognosis and walk, watch him walk with as much faith, even so that he became my teacher. As I sat in his bedroom in his grandmother's mobile home, and was sharing with him and talking with him and um, asking him questions. And he just, at the end of the conversation, he was so gracious with me, he said, Jeremy, next time you come, don't come as my youth pastor. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm okay with this. I really am okay 
whichever way it goes. And I thought, uh, okay, okay. He was okay with it. You know, I think our concept of miracles and healings is confusing at best. But it's, to me, like the theory of electricity. We have a theory, a, a workable and practical way of discussing something that is essentially mysterious and in some ways unverifiable. I mean, we n- somewhat know how electricity works, but we really don't, can't comprehend the mysteriousness of the whole thing. Jews and Christians alike in the time of Jesus trusted God as Lord of everything created. Nothing was outside of his range of power. And so healings, signs and wonders were understood in that concept. And there was an okayness, this acceptability of the mysterious nature of God, which I think in our culture, in our context, sometimes we want to demystify God. And this morning, my goal is not to demystify God or how he works. I think there is an element of discovery that is needed in faith, an element of mystery that places God above our realm of understanding. Miracles and healings, they're a wonder for sure, but they are not explainable. And to the Jew and Christian alike in the time of Jesus and and just prior to, following his death, resurrection, and ascension, they understood that God did it. And he had the power and capacity and right to do what he pleased in terms of miracles and healings. And the recorded miracles in Scripture, whether Old or New Testament, were not recorded simply as stories of principle, that there was some sort of greater lesson to be learned. They wouldn't have told such stories. They were told as fact, as something that had been witnessed. For in their culture, that was what happened. They would not have recorded it any other way. In fact, the word miracle didn't exist. In fact, if you read through your scripture, you won't find the word miracle. They used words like signs, wonders, acts of power. It indicated God's action in the world as if it were natural. There was no dichotomy between the natural and the supernatural. There was no division. In the book, The Hidden Jesus by Donald Spotto, he asked these rhetorical questions. Cannot God enter into his own creation? And he's kind of speaking from the time of Jesus against our world philosophy and worldviews today. Cannot God enter into his own creation? Can we say what is appropriate and inappropriate for God? Can he not reorder the usual order of reality? Is God not God precisely because he astonishes? And therefore, I propose if Jesus was God, and in that time they would also propose if Jesus was God, if he was the Messiah as he claimed, then it was expected that he would perform signs and wonders, for they would verify his claim. And in case you were wondering, there are some books out there 
that claim that there were all sorts of miracle workers in the day of Jesus, either as contemporaries or post-ascension. But these actual claims have gone on to since then be debunked as efforts to discredit the movement of Christianity. That if they could create these miracle workers as if it was commonplace, then it would discredit the work of Jesus Christ. But these books, these recordings, were written some two, three, four hundred years after they were said to have taken place. And if Jesus is God, the thought goes, and he's speaking of the kingdom of heaven, then Jesus has brought the power of God to man, and he was then equal to God. He was the son of God. And then restoration does come through him, the restoration of of all things, the restoration of humanity and its relationship to God, humanity's relationship to each other, humanity's relation to all of creation, and the entirety of his message was a restored relationship with God. And that was his central focus through himself, and miracles then were a means to the end of pointing people to God. And if you look at the, the acts of Jesus, if you look at what he did, he forgave sins, he fed the hungry, he loved the unlovable, he gave hope to the hopeless and grace to the guilty. This morning as we continue the story, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, is a passage that demonstrates the miracles of Jesus. In fact, Luke, in his recording of the gospel, has seven acts of miracles. And in Mark 5, he records a number of these, but we're going to pick it up in Mark 5, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. If you have your version app, you can open it up and follow along. Mark is about three-quarters of the way through your scripture if you want to flip through and find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four Gospels, of which Mark is the second. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and passed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet trembling and with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing or ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And I just flipped pages on my app. And the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was about 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I find this story incredible because here is two people completely disconnected, yet their stories crashing and then their stories collide together in the person of Jesus. And look at what Jesus did as we, as we look back through what occurs. This man, this ruler, this person with position and power and probably a reputation who might be part of the Pharisees, the group that was trying to discredit and eventually killed Jesus. He might have been part of that group and yet he comes and humbles himself, falling at the feet of Jesus to declare his desperate need of Jesus' touch. And he simply says to Jesus, my daughter's dying, I need you to come and touch her. And we're told that Jesus goes with him. I'm thankful that when I make a request of Jesus, he's willing to take the journey with me. Think about it in in terms of the other stories we've read in the Gospels. If you look through the Gospels, there are stories where people come to Jesus and say, come with me so that you can go and heal my son, my daughter. And Jesus says, It's done. But for some reason in this story, Jesus goes along for the journey. There was something more to it than it tells me. And there's an interruption to this journey. Jairus is in desperate need here for Jesus to, uh, how shall we say, get along, to, to move it. Jesus, I like to move it, move it. I'd like you to move it, move it too. My daughter is sick and dying. And here in this moment, as the crowds are following along, there's an interruption to the request. This woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, she has an issue. It has interrupted her whole life to this point. And interrupts what Jairus is trying to accomplish with Jesus. And yet Jesus stops. There's this moment. He recognizes power has left him. What must it be like to have the power of God residing in you so much that you recognize when the power has flowed out of you? That you're being used in the works of God. And he acknowledges her touch. He doesn't just go along because he could have 
he could have walked on. He could have just said, oh, she's good. But he stops and he recognizes her. I love that he recognizes the woman and yet ignores his disciples. (laughs) Who touched me? Jesus. There's crowds of people around you, bumping into you. I mean, it's like the stadium uh, at Faroe Field when everybody's trying to leave after a Mizzou win. Or loss, I guess. And everybody's bumping and jostling, shoulder to shoulder. And, and Jesus said, you're saying, who touched you? Jesus doesn't have the sarcastic bent that I would have answered with. I wish he did. But he ignores him. And it says he kept looking. Did he not really know who she was? Could he not have just pointed her out? You. You touched me. But he doesn't. He presents the opportunity, the invitation. This is the healing that he provides so that he might bring this woman into relationship. And she found him as divinely compassionate as he was divinely powerful. And in this moment, she received physical healing and yet so much more because his response, I relate it back to last week, when Jesus' response to the sinful woman, the woman caught in adultery, was simply go and sin no more. Look at the response Jesus gives this woman. Go. Go. In peace. Go in freedom that you now have. A physical freedom from your ailments, but a spiritual freedom that you've never experienced before. Go. He's not shooing her away. He's releasing her. He's unshackling her. This woman in this moment received value. He calls her daughter. He values her in this moment, which is important, especially for women in this context, in this cultural setting. He says, your faith has healed you. When your faith responds according to what you believe, when you say, I believe he can save me, I believe he can act, and then I act accordingly. It's interesting, as people throng around Jesus She's the one who touches him in faith. And I often wonder, those of you who've been in church maybe all of your life, you throng around Jesus, you come together with us on a Sunday morning, and we throng around Jesus with our songs and the message, and yet do we actually reach out and touch him? Sure, there are plenty of us who hear about what he has done, and this woman has heard, and she intentionally goes even if secretly, to touch him. There's something about her belief that he could that led her to act that faith out. And then you see that Jairus' story comes to an abrupt end. Your daughter is dead. End of story. Quit bothering the teacher. There's nothing he can do And look at Jesus' response. Ignoring them. I'm so glad Jesus just ignores people. 
There's a whole sermon series in that. Jesus ignores people. I'm thankful that he ignores those moments of my life where I myself say, don't bother Jesus anymore. It's hopeless. Jesus, it says overhearing, but actually better translated is ignoring them. He continues the journey and he says to the man, don't, don't listen to them. Just believe. I like that. Don't be afraid. Don't accept their word for it. Believe me. Let's continue the journey. And when he says only believer, in some translations, it says just believe. Think about the the phrases you say when you say just something. Sometimes it's a statement of least. Well, I, I, I I was just surfing the internet. I was just wasting time. When Jesus says just believe, he's not talking about the littlest thing. He's talking about the greatest thing, the simplest thing. Just believe. Just believe. And so they show up to the house, and there's people wailing and crying. There's a commotion, it says, which isn't a reserved way of saying they were just kind of sobbing, and you could kind of hear a a muffled whimper. In those days, they would hire professional mourners and wailers. And these ladies and men sometimes would be instruments. They were professional mourners. They would come to wherever the, the dead were, and they would mourn and wail, and you would pay them to do that. Oh, my God, we're so sad. And they would go on and on, and this is an accepted tradition in the Talmud that you should hire these people to come and mourn and wail, for that was seen as a righteous way of grieving. And Jesus says, what's going on? As if he doesn't know. But he knows. He knows they're following the tradition. He knows they're following the accepted cultural practice. And he says, wait, 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 she's sleeping. She, she, or she's not dead, she's sleeping. <laughs> Someone clued Jesus in on what has happened yet. But they laughed at him. I love that part of the scripture. But they laughed at him. <laughs> You've got to have lots of guts to laugh at the Son of God. <laughs> right? But they laughed at him. Oh, Jesus, 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 you just, you don't know. This time he doesn't ignore them. Lightning bolts. No, I'm kidding. He, he doesn't ignore them this time, which he could have. He could have just been like, whatever. He puts them out. I like that it says he puts them out. He boots them out of the house. And he goes in with the disciples and the mother and father, and he simply grabs the girl by the hand and says, little girl, Get up. Just a simple phrase. Jesus doesn't go in shouting and rebuking all sorts of things. He simply says, little girl, get up. Even in that moment, he had power over death. He had compassion. And then he verifies the miracle. You know how? 
he says to him, give her something to eat. It seems insignificant, but in the Jewish culture, you weren't really dead till you'd been dead at least three days, right? Which kind of, you know, you're starting to think back to the resurrection. Three days meant you were really dead. Before that, you were mostly dead. And if you ate something, it verified that you weren't a ghost. Ghosts couldn't eat. When you stick it in their mouth, it would just fall to the floor. Just... So it was a verification that the miracle was legit. She was alive. And I like this story, not because it makes me feel good, but it tells me about people who deserve miracles. That here is a somewhat righteous man. Someone who is clean and religious, clean in the, in the religious sense of the world. He observed all the statues that made him clean in the eyes of God, according to the law. And then here's a woman who has an issue with blood, and in this case made her unclean, ceremoni- ceremonially and otherwise. She was unclean. And these stories are put together Almost as if to verify the righteous and the unrighteous get miracles. And somebody who comes publicly and humbly, for sure this man came humbly because he was a a person of stature. And yet he falls at Jesus' feet. And then a woman who comes secretly but intently. As if to verify that someone's approach is less important about than who they approach. And because of Jesus, we can go boldly, the scripture says, we can go boldly into the very throne room of God and ask anything in his name. And here are two instances where boldness seems to be so radically different, yet they're bold in their own, just the same. And it tells me of what faith is, that one simply states the facts and asks Jesus to put his hand into it. For that's what Jairus says, if you touch my daughter, she'll come alive. Or the other way around. The woman comes to Jesus and says, if I can just touch him. Really, if I I just can touch the hem, the very bottom of his tattered garments maybe, I'll be healed. They both heard of Jesus. They, They both had heard of what he could do. But this was a moment of belief and faith, even if it was ignorant, even if it was imperfect, they both came to him. And I'm not even sure how they've prayed before. We're not told anything about their prayer life, about their spiritual lives. We only know that they came to Jesus. We don't know anything other than the words that they spoke directly to him. They just simply ask. They simply reach out. And believe that it's totally within God's playground to do this. Not as if on a whim, as if God is fickle, but that God receives glory. And it pleases him to do such things. And perhaps even a last ditch effort, right? But how many times have you stopped asking God for something because you thought, well, I've tried all these other things and now God's just sort of my last resort He's okay with that. He's okay with being your last resort. This isn't a monologue on modern day medicines, as if somehow modern day medicines are outside of the work of God. 
When it's saying she's used all of her resources on doctors and nothing helped her, she got worse, it wasn't saying don't go to doctors. It was saying this is her last resort, and I'm thankful that God brings me to the last resort, which is him. You ever lost something and say these words? Well, it was in the last place I looked. (laughs) Well, if you found it, why would you keep looking for it? It's the same thing with Jesus. He's okay with being your last resort. He's okay because when you find it, you'll never look again. I think you have to have those last resort moments where everything else is stripped away. Everything else loses its, its, its lacquer and its luster and you come to Jesus. And we aren't told about their spiritual condition. We don't, say, we don't see them say anything like, Lord, heal me if it's your will. As if God needs to be let off the hook. Well, I'm really glad that you let me off the hook by saying if it's my will. Because if it's not God's will, I'll tell you what. All the screaming and wailing you do ain't going to make it his will. But is it possible to change God's mind? I don't know. But I think it's worth a conversation. Because here's the important thing. You can't, you, maybe you can change God's mind, but you can never change his character. And your faith in his character is more important than your faith in his action. Can I say that again? Do you want me to say that again? Your faith in belief in him is more important in his character than it is in his action. And what I find here is that in this healing, I wonder if they were okay with not receiving it. Was there a possibility that they said to themselves, I'm going to go and just see what happens? I think sometimes we look at God and we give him the thing we want done as a wish, not as an act of faith. I'm reminded of one of my favorite stories, The Princess Bride. The book and movie open with the scene of Buttercup saying her favorite pastimes were riding her horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley, but she never called him that. Nothing gave Buttercup as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. As you wish. As you wish was all he ever said to her. Farm boy, fill these with water, please. As you wish. But one day, That day, she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. I think sometimes we look at the miracles that God would perform as a verification of his love for us. We don't need God to say to us, as you wish. We need to say to God, as you wish. And in that, we may find that the very thing we needed wasn't a miracle, but just a revelation. I want the band to come as we close with this song. Our prayer partners are going to be to the right and to the left. Faith 
is belief and dependence on God's character, not just his action. When you trust God to change your story, when you trust in his power more than his pity, and you trust that he has your greatest good in mind, the question really is, can I hold on to God in the midst of suffering? Can I say to God, as you wish, not as I wish? In this moment today, a moment to step forward in faith, to believe God for the miracle, the healing, whatever it is you're asking for, I'm reminded of those words of Jesus to Jairus. Don't be afraid, just believe. I'm convinced that you don't receive 100% of the things you don't ask God for. And in this belief, I I praise and I worship God. Can you do that before you have the answer? I'm convinced of this. That sometimes it's in these moments of desperation that we get what we really need, not necessarily what we want. I was, I was in this grocery store with my son, and we were picking up some groceries. And we strolled through the ice cream aisle. Wrong move, Dad. Such a rookie move. Because we weren't going to buy ice cream. But he wanted ice cream. He wanted that treat. And he's like, Dad, Dad, can I, can I get it? And he was throwing a fit because we weren't going to stop. And he, was, he really wanted it. And in that moment, you know the moment where kids are kind of in, the, in their tantrum and they have to take a breath? That's when I spoke. I simply leaned into his ear because he knows when I whisper, I mean it. I don't need to yell. I just whisper. I said, Robbie, when we leave here, we're going to go pick up your sisters and your mom and we're going to go to Baskin Robbins. Everything changed in that moment. Something greater was revealed to him. Something he would have to wait for. He'd have to suffer through high V a little longer. (laughs) Perhaps in your suffering, it's in the moment that God is whispering to you about something greater that waits for you. Receiving ultimate healing in death isn't a cop-out. Not getting what you want in the moment you want it isn't an unanswered prayer. Perhaps it's the answer, no. And yet, the power of faith is not in the first time you pray and ask. The power of faith is that you keep believing, you keep asking, you keep knocking, and that hundredth time, you might just get what you received. And perhaps in that moment, God will whisper something great. Perhaps in that moment, God will give you exactly what you've pleaded with him for. So when, what moment will it be? God's not telling. That's the mystery and wonder. That's the journey of discovery that awaits us all. This morning, do you trust and believe in who he is, in his character? And not just in his action, as if we can perceive all the actions of God. I know for Darcy and I, in in our greatest moments of tragedy, we came to that moment where we had to trust that God is. Not that he would give us what we wanted in that moment, 
and that he was any less if he didn't. And sometimes it's that greatest step to simply believe that God is. That he does hold every one of your moments, that he hasn't let you go, that he's taking the journey with you. Would you believe him for that this week? Would you stand with me this morning as I pray a blessing over you? And perhaps you find yourself in a place of disbelief this morning. Maybe you've never made that step towards Jesus Christ in faith to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And this is your morning. To believe him for the greatest healing is the the healing of our spiritual death. (laughs) That he can bring to life what through our own decisions and actions has brought death into our lives. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, church, in this holy moment? And if that's you this morning, would you simply raise your hand? I would love to pray with you, and the church body here would pray with you. Say, Jesus, I want to invite you into my life. I'm going to believe in you and walk by faith that you forgive my sins and you provide healing through your death and resurrection. If that's you this morning, would you simply raise your hand and pray with you? We won't point you out and embarrass you. Church, let's pray with all those this morning that would believe for that step. Simply pray out loud, Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. Thank you for your love. I accept your healing. I accept your providence and your leading in my life. Amen. And Father, bless your people as they go from this place today. As we look to you to lead and guide us, as we believe you for the impossible, as we look to other people's situations and we believe the impossible for them because we know that you can do all things. Find us faithful to believe your character, not just your actions. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your time this morning, church. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com 